Who's ready for the word? We are in this series called On Deck, and uh, it simply means this, if you're not a sports fan, when you're on deck, it means you're up to bat next. It's time for you to get in the game. So the On Deck Circle is the place of preparation. So what we're doing over the next three weeks is we're putting everyone in the room at every campus in the On Deck Circle. Welcome. Now, whether you go to the dugout after this, or you step into your place, your rightful place, and you get in the game, is entirely up to you, but we believe that it's time for you to get in the game. Church should not be viewed as your time at bat. Church, showing up on Sunday morning is not your time in the game. This is preparation. This is where you receive the blueprints. This is where you receive the playbook. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 through 12 says, So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So the pastor's role is not to win the city for you. It's not to build the church even for you. It's it's not to win your workplace for you. The pastor's role is to equip you to get in the game, to do the work of the ministry. And I found what a lot of Christians like to do when it's time to be called into the game is they wanna call for a sub. They want to call for a pinch hitter. They say, Pastor, you win my family for me. Pastor, you preach me into a better marriage. Pastor, you win the city for me. But in the reality is God gifted you to do that. We want politicians to jump in the, in the batter's box for us. We, we want politi- politicians to legislate light for us. When the reality is you and I are just called to shine. You and I, and and I just feel this stirring in my soul, this stirring in my heart to let you know that the day of calling in pinch hitters to do what you're called to do is over. It's time to get in the game and realize you were made, you were created, you were born for such a time as this. And and today we're going to be talking about a man by the name of Moses. And Moses has got quite the resume. Uh, Anytime you liberate a nation from slavery, you're going to probably get any job that you want. If he puts it on the job application, he's probably going to get the job. But, But Moses was a revolutionary. Moses did big things. Moses walked in the miraculous. Moses split a sea. Moses brought the law to the Israelites. Moses did so many incredible, big, powerful things. And we love talking about big things. You're called the big things. The big purpose and the destiny and the dream. And we love talking about like this magnanimous, huge, powerful. But the reality is for Moses and the reality is for me and you that big things start with small steps. And so this morning, I'm going to preach a message entitled, It Started With a Step. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to talk about just a few small steps that Moses took that set him up to do everything that God had called him to do. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to be reading in the ESV. You know what the best translation is? The one that you read. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. You want to know how we know God is in something? It's not just on fire momentarily. It doesn't have an expiration date on its fire. It was burning, but it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So 
when the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, don't draw near to this place. Take the sandals off of your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. God goes on to tell Moses the plan. He says, Moses, I've called you to deliver the people of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. And and Moses responds by saying, well, what if they don't believe me? And God's basically like, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. And Moses responds, well, who should I even tell them is sending me? I don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. He's basically like, don't worry about it. I'm going to be with you. And then Moses drops this famous line, well, I'm not good with words. I'm not eloquent in my speech. And, and what is Moses doing in this moment is he's making excuses. And I believe that if you and I are going to walk in the fullness of what we're called to do, it starts with a step out of excuses. Excuses will delay your destiny. Excuses are calling killers. Excuses will will delay what God has called you to do. You know what they say about excuses. Excuses are like really bad. Excuses will prevent you from walking in what God has called you to do. Has anyone ever given you a bad excuse to break up with you? Anyone ever been dumped in the room? Some of y'all have never been dumped and it shows and you need just a good old fashioned, it's not you, it's me. I'm not trying to brag, but I've been dumped a time or two in my life. I've got some experience in this. Okay, I I was reading about a a group of managers. They got together and they all shared their like worst excuse stories uh, for people calling in sick to work or saying why they weren't gonna make it. And and I'm just gonna read a few of these. Uh, One person called in and said, I was sprayed by a skunk. I tripped over my dog and was knocked unconscious. I was arrested as a result of mistaken identity. I couldn't find my shoes. If you call me and tell me that, I'm just like, just stay home and forever. Like, no. A hitman was looking for me. My cat unplugged my alarm clock. I forgot what day of the week it was. This is the one that I hate the most. My alarm clock didn't go off. I'm like, I don't think that happens anymore. I'm pretty sure Steve Jobs solved that problem. But anyway ridiculous excuses. We know when someone's given us a bad excuse, right? We can just like, I'm going to read a few more bad excuses. Ready? We're talking terrible excuses. I'm not smart enough to be used by God. Hey, jeez. <laughs> I'm not good enough to be used by God. My past is too messy to be used by God. I, I, I've had an addiction, so why would God? I was adopted, so, so, so how could God? I'm in a serving a, a, a season where I'm not going to serve. What are these? These are bad excuses that are a lot harder to laugh at than the previous ones because these ones belong to us. And we are really, really good at telling other people to stop making excuses. We're really good at telling people to divorce their excuses while we remain married to our excuses. And Moses had to make the courageous decision in this moment to drop every excuse. Here's a crazy, heavy reality is that if Moses stays in his excuses, then there's no exodus. So there is a group of hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of people that remain in slavery if Moses does not stop making excuses. I wonder who's waiting on you to stop making excuses. 
And I wonder how many people are going to be set free the moment you finally come to terms with the fact that you are who God says you are. That you are formed in your, God knitted you together, formed you in your mother's womb, that he has called you, that if he calls you to it, he's going to give you the grace to do it. I wonder how many people are going to get healed, delivered, set free the moment you realize I am who, I'm God's man. I'm I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I was made for this. Moses is making excuses to God. He says, I can't speak well. I can't talk very good. And when Moses said that, we bought it. Like hook, line, and sinker. For hundreds of years, the church has been talking about how Moses has a stutter. Says who? Moses. The guy who is trying to get out of this whole thing. This is how Moses saw himself. We bought it. God didn't buy it. God didn't buy it. Can I, I want to show you a scripture in Acts chapter 7 and verse 22. This is how God sees Moses. It says, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Don't miss this. And he was mighty in his words and his deeds. So Moses looked at himself and said, I'm not good enough. I'm not eloquent. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not strong enough to do this. I can't speak. And God is saying, hey, Moses, you're mighty. You are mighty in your words. And I don't know, listen, I don't know what narrative you've believed when it comes to the way that you see yourself, but God is declaring a word over you today. Mighty, called, chosen, anointed, filled with the spirit of God. He's He's declaring that over you today. You want to know something really embarrassing about my life? I don't have anything for you, but I felt like a couple of you checked out. So I was just, welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) Moses had to remove himself. Seriously, like 10 people. (laughs) Let me illustrate it to you this way. When I was in... uh, High school, I had the opportunity to go on a short-term missions trip to Honduras, and on the last day of the missions trip, we went to uh, the beach. We're on the Caribbean Sea, and at this particular beach, there was an old railroad track that went out maybe like 100 yards. You could walk down it, and you could jump off of the railroad track into the water, and, uh, you know, it's maybe 20 or 30 foot down, and so it's just a blast. We were jumping, and we climbed the ladder back and jump and climb the ladder, and, uh, and And on the very last jump, I decided in my very, very, very adolescent mind that I was going to swim back to the shore, uh, which would have made sense if I had, like, any experience swimming. Uh, And so I jumped, I plunged into the water, I came up to the surface, and I started swimming. And I started feeling so confident for, like, three or four strokes. (laughs) And then I started to get tired. And I got nervous, and then I got scared, and then I was like, I was like, I, I started not thinking straight. I looked over, and I saw that there were these beams that were holding up this railroad track, and so I was thinking, I'm just going to, it's going to be better for me to climb these beams up 20 or 30 feet than to keep on swimming back. And so I try to climb this beam, and as I lift myself up, my foot slips on the wood, and I cut my foot, and I fall back into the water. And then my brain, for some reason, just like decided to remember a fact, a trivia from trivia fact from school that sharks can smell blood in the water from like 10 bazillion miles away. 
And so not only am I tired and I'm scared, but I'm thinking there's a shark after me. And so I'm swimming and I'm nervous and I get to the point where I'm, I'm losing all my strength. I'm swallowing water. I feel something on my leg. It's the shark. It's here for me. Then my time has come and I'm going, I'm going as hard as I can. And then I hear a word from the shore saying, John, stand up. I was like, I don't have time for faith right now. I'm not Peter. I can't walk on water. What are you talking about? And I'm fighting. John, stand up. I hear it again a third time. John, stand up. I put my foot down. I stand up, and I'm in three feet of water. <laughs> I was just picturing this scenario where I drown and die and stand before God. He's just like, I tried with you. I tried. I really gave my best shot with you. You were too stupid. I tried. Almost down. Drowned in, in three feet of water, but I stood up on a word. And if you're in this place drowning in your own insecurities, in your own doubts, in the way that you view yourself, I need you to know this morning that that water is only three feet deep because you have got some solid ground called the Word of God that you can stand up on. Don't drown in three feet of insecurity. Here Moses was about to drown in a purposeless life because of three feet of water. I think a lot of people miss their calling by three feet. I think a lot of people miss out on what God has for them by three feet. And God is saying today, just stand up. I'm a voice from the shore telling you today, stand up out of your excuses because God's got great things in store for you. Moses had to take a step out of his excuses. Here's another step that Moses had to take. He's, he's approaching the burning bush and God says, stop. Before you come any closer, you need to take off your shoes. It's a thousand different things that we could draw from the fact that God asked Moses to take off his shoes. But I think one of the most prevalent ideas here is the fact that Moses was a murderer. Moses was running from the call of God. And God is saying to Moses, if you're going to step into what I have for you, you've got to let go of the regret and shame of yesterday's sin. Remove yourself from where you have been so that I can take you into where I've called you to go. It starts with a step out of excuses. And here's number two, it's starts with a step out of regrets, out of regrets. Take off your shoes, Moses. Anybody have that friend growing up, or maybe this was your house, where you had to take off your shoes before you walked into the house? When I was a kid, I always thought that was like the symbol of wealth. <laughs> My friend would be like, you got to take off your shoes before you come in here. I'm like, y'all got money, money. Okay, I see how it is. Jeez, carpet's expensive. I get it. All right, I'm, I'll do it. I always wore mismatching socks on those days, too. It was tragic. <laughs> so dumb. There are some homes that you can't access until you take off your shoes. There are some things that God has called you to that you cannot access until you remove yourself from yesterday's shame. And I just get this picture of, like, several of you standing on the porch, 
and you're looking through the window and you can see the house. You can see the calling. You can see the dream. You can see the destiny and you've heard the prophetic words and you, you can see it. You can visualize it. It's beautiful. But because of a past season or a past sin or a past mistake, you've thought, I can't enter into this place. And God is saying, take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Moses had to take a step out of regrets. I had a problem when we first moved into our house and that was that our backyard it's fenced in but it's got a door on the gate and my four-year-old son quickly learned that he could escape the backyard using the gate door and so it didn't take me long to go and purchase a lock and lock it and MJ went and go it went and he tried to open up the door and he learned that it was locked and after a couple of attempts he stopped trying now, uh, a few months later, I was moving some stuff in and out of my, my backyard, and so I took the lock off, and I was going to put the lock back on when I was done, but then I just had this thought, this, this, uh, I just had this assumption that my son was not going to attempt to walk through an unlocked door because he believed that it was locked. So I did what any loving father would do, and I performed a psychological experiment on my son. And, 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 so, and so I never put the lock back on. And for several months, my son did not even attempt to walk through an unlocked door. And I think many times what we do is we believe because of a past sin, because of a past cycle, or because of a past lifestyle, that you are locked out or disqualified from ever walking in the world that God has called you to live in. But here's the reality. I came to make an announcement that when Jesus died on the cross, he removed the lock. He gave you access to what he's called you to do. He gave you access to forgiveness. He gave you access to the destiny that he has for your life. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When Jesus bled and died on the cross, he was not just making heaven accessible to you. This was an exchange of identity. This was God removing the sins of humanity off of humanity and placing them on Jesus removing the righteousness of Jesus and placing them on everybody who had put their trust in Jesus. So now when God was looking, when the Father was looking down at Jesus on the cross, he did not see his perfect son. He saw me and you. And now when you and I come before God in prayer and come before God in worship, and even when we stand before him on the day of judgment, he won't see my sin. He won't see me and you. He will see me through the veil of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what the cross accomplished for you. It's been giving you, it's giving you a new identity, giving you a new name. People tell me all the time, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm like, says who? Why are we claiming the name of sinner when he has re-identified us as sons and daughters? You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're either a sinner or you're saved by grace. But when you step into covenant with Jesus, he calls you righteous. Don't live like there's a lock on the back door when Jesus gave everything to remove it. Stop identifying yourself as who you were before you met Jesus. 
We even do this in the way that we read scripture. Jesus goes up to this guy named Bartimaeus who was blind. He takes away his blindness. And what do we call him? Blind Bartimaeus. And I think Jesus is just in heaven scratching his head like, I thought that I, thought that I took care of that. <laughs> the woman with the issue of blood. Yes, until she met Jesus. We call, there's this apostle named Thomas that brought the gospel to India. He died a martyr's death. And we're like, oh yeah, that's doubting Thomas. He really, he really struggles with his faith. Me on the other hand, solid. Can I help you? She is not the woman caught in the act of adultery. We, we call her the woman caught in the act of, of adultery as if grace did not re-identify her. As if Jesus did not stoop down in the ground and, and mercy stooped down in the ground when she should have been stoned. She's not the woman caught in the act. Of, she's a woman with no accusers. She's a woman who went on to sin no more. She was re-identified by the blood and the mercy of Jesus. So we've got to stop living like we're Moses as a murderer. You're not the divorce. You're not the adultery. You're not the unfaithfulness. You're not the mistake. You are son or daughter of the living God. I'm about to walk off this carpet. These are my boundaries. I think a lot of people are just walking around in the backyard. Man, this is all my life will ever be. This is all I'm ever going to do because of X, Y, and Z, because of what I did, because of what I said, because of who I hurt. And God is saying the only thing in between you and a life of purpose, and a life of calling, and a life of destiny is an unlocked door. It starts with a step out of excuses. It starts with a step out of regrets. And here's number three. It, it starts with a step into obedience. Not as fun as the other two, but really, really necessary. Think about how powerful this moment was with Moses, where he sees the burning bush. This is God. This is Yahweh. This is, this is the king. This, in, a, in a burning bush, revealing his voice, I imagine Moses was trembling. I imagine there's goosebumps all up. All over his arms. I, I imagine Moses is having difficulty standing up. I imagine Moses is fighting through tears as he's having a conversation with the Creator. I imagine Moses is, is having difficulty getting through this conversation. This is this is God. This is a powerful encounter. But no matter how powerful the encounter was, if Moses doesn't leave that place and start to take steps towards what God called him to do, he never fulfills. The dream. He never fulfills the calling. An encounter without obedience is a wasted encounter. A prophetic word without steps of faith is a wasted prophetic word. I've got so many friends that have been called out so many times about the destiny and the dreams and the powerful, and they've had encounters, but they just wouldn't take the steps. If I were to go get in my vehicle and type an address into my Apple Maps, which is the right one to use, Apple Maps, not Google Maps, it's, it's Apple. And, and, and Siri starts unfolding the plan. 
This is where we're going to go. This is where we're headed. I can understand what Siri is saying. I can hear her voice clearly. But until I put my hands on the wheel and actually move in the direction that she's telling me to go, if I don't listen and apply, then I'm going to be frustrated with my end result. And a lot of people are so frustrated because you've ended up in the backyard with boundaries around you. And the reality is you didn't miss God. You just didn't put your hands on the wheel. And now is a beautiful opportunity just to do a course correction. It's frustrating when you miss your exit, and it takes a little bit longer. But just like Jonah, the call of God is still there, even when you ran away from Nineveh. It's still there. It's still available. And this morning is an opportunity to step out of excuses, step out of regrets, and into a life of, of obedience. I was moved by this thought. What if Moses passed the burning bush by? What if Moses felt the power of God radiating off of this burning bush? He sensed that God wanted to say something, sensed that God wanted to do something, but instead of hearing and obeying, he just thanked God for the goosebump and moved on with his day. What if he passed the burning bush and had this and even received the prophetic word and went to his friends and said, yo, I received this amazing prophetic word. Isn't that powerful? But if he never steps in it. And I found for me, a lot of times, the prophetic words that I receive or the encounters that I have, they find my notebook when God was thinking about my neighborhood. And I just want you to know, I believe that every time the presence of God comes, there's a burning bush accompanied with it. He does not just come so that we cry. God does not walk in the room so that we can shake or fall or have a goosebump. His encounters come along with assignments. His manifest presence comes with marching orders. And I'm moved by the fact, I wonder how many times I've passed by the burning bush and said, man, church was good. And I had a feeling in mind, and he had nations in mind. I had a feeling in mind, and he had ending poverty in South Dallas in mind. I had a feeling in mind, and he had setting the captives free. And maybe it doesn't even have to be as dramatic as a nation or a city, but maybe he's talking about your neighbor. Maybe he's talking about uh, the person that you work with. God wants to use you. I feel the presence of God here today which means there's probably burning bushes everywhere. Which means God wants to unveil something to you, reveal something to you. What is the plan? What have you called me to do? It starts with a step. I'm so thankful that Moses turned aside and was obedient to hear the voice of the Lord. Can you imagine for a moment if like the writers of This Is Us were to tell the story of Moses? Some of you guys were getting into it and I just pulled you right out. I'm sorry. Welcome back. We'll, we'll get there. If like the writers of This Is Us were to tell the story of Moses and you were to see two timelines telling different stories and how they're connected, you would see Moses taking off his shoes and you would see an Israelite uh, child taking off his shoes before he walks into his house in the promised land. Uh, can, can you imagine seeing Moses shouting to Pharaoh, let my people 
go. And at the same time, you see Joshua shouting and the walls of Jericho are crumbling. Can you see Moses shifting, turning aside to see a burning bush? And as he shifts, the nation begins to shift. And I just, I just want you to know that when you take small steps out of your excuses and out of your regrets and into obedience, you're not just affecting your own life, but you're going to affect generations to come. You want to leave a legacy? It doesn't start with doing something big. It starts with one foot in front of the other. You want to leave a legacy for your kids? Come on, there are grandkids that you have not even met yet that are going to eat the fruit of your obedience.